The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. When your patient says no or they're not sure, let's talk about why. Recognize that there are some things that might make a person a little hesitant. Okay, I understand that. You know, don't shut them down right away. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. This episode of Annals on Call focuses on two articles from the December 15, 2020, issue of the Annals of Internal Medicine. SARS-CoV-2 Vaccine Acceptance, We May Need to Choose Our Battles, an editorial based on an article, Attitudes Towards a Potential SARS-CoV-2 Vaccine, a survey of U.S. adults. Joining us on the podcast today is Dr. Kimberly Manning, who is a fellow of the American College of Physicians. She is a professor in the Department of Medicine at Emory University and Associate Vice Chair of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. To quote her, her academic interests include reflective writing as a means of enhancing patient-doctor communication and fostering humanistic behaviors and professionalism in medical students and residents. I think when you listen to this podcast, you'll understand that she makes good on her academic interests. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Kimberly, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. Just as an introduction to our discussion of vaccine acceptance, we're very friendly on social media, and you recently posted that you were in one of the vaccine studies and actually did receive the placebo and since have been offered to take the vaccine and you have taken the vaccine. And full disclosure, I get my second dose of the vaccine tomorrow at the time we're doing the study. And this is a very interesting study. I thought it was really important because as physicians, we're very concerned about our patients and want our patients to not get the disease. And for almost every single physician I know has been aggressive about wanting to get vaccinated and wanting their patients to get vaccinated. And this survey really points out the problem in our country. And maybe you can talk about your impressions of the survey, and then we'll get it down into some of the details. Well, I like that the survey didn't only dig into just yes and no and stop there. I was impressed with the fact that after a no came a question about what makes you say no and what makes you say you're not sure. It's interesting, though, when I look at these types of surveys and studies, I have to then extrapolate that over to both my patients and what I'm experiencing. And then also, you know, as a Black American, what I'm experiencing when I talk to people every day who are my family or who went to my HBCU with me or something like that. And I can't say that it perfectly mirrors what I saw here. So as I read this study, at the time they took the survey, 60% of the people were ready to take it. Now, we have to say that they only had about a 12% return on this study. So this is not one of the great surveys of all time. 
On the other hand, there's a bit of face validity, whether the numbers are exact or not, the ideas that they portray are probably worthwhile. Yeah, and it was April, you know, it was April when they were gathering this data and they didn't actually have the vaccine yet. And I do think that a lot of the conversations we're having now are in the context of the reality of there being vaccine available or coming soon. So I think the hypothetical piece of it probably played into it. So those are malleable percentages, but at that time, 10% of the people said, they're not going to take a vaccine. They just don't take vaccines. Do you run into those people? I do. I think as this paper describes in their references, they talk about how those individuals who are the hard no people are often going to be set in that way. And um, I do definitely face those individuals often who are very firm no's. There's no compromise on it. And I would think that if I've talked to about 10 people, probably one or two of them are in that range. So I, I think that number was pretty accurate. I do see that a lot. And that's actually disturbing on a lot of different levels because it's not just the COVID vaccine that they're saying no to. It's a lot of other vaccines. And most of us who are physicians are very concerned about measles outbreaks, mumps outbreaks, all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. But we don't know how to deal with those people at this time. The big, big population is the 30% who are hesitant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when I've asked people in the hospital and I work at VA, it was interesting. Our VA sent out a uh, survey to everyone who had contact with patients. That included the housekeeping, that included dietitians, that included the nurses, that included the doctors. Almost every single doctor signed up unless they were gonna get their vaccine someplace else. But over 30% of the people didn't take the advantage to get this for free at work. Right. And I was told that that is what's going on in the nation. Uh, that people who are offered the vaccine are hesitant. And I ask a couple of nurses about that and they say, I just don't know. Mm -hmm. And what are the conversations you're having? Well, I think the elephant in the room is that the people that you name, right, many of them are from um, historically marginalized groups. And it is easy for people to quickly say, oh, well, it's just all trust. It's all concern about, you know, the untreated syphilis study that happened in Macon County, Alabama, right? But really, I think that it ties to largely a lot of things that are happening, some of the social injustice that's happening in our world, even things that we see every time we turn on the television, this thing that creates this space where people have concern that maybe their very best interest is not at heart. Um, I am finding, though, that of those people who are unsure, there is a lot of, you know, heterogeneity between the why. It isn't just as simple as I'm scared of needles or I'm scared of what's in it. It's that I don't understand how this vaccine works. Are you giving me the vaccine? So I'm finding that those individuals who are unsure, if they're open to conversation and we're careful to not just immediately shut them down and say, you need to get vaccinated, to really just probe and ask the individual, well, why do you feel that way? And as you kind of get to that and you find out why, maybe it is something like, I need to explain to you how mRNA vaccine works and that, no, I'm not giving you the the virus itself. I'm finding a lot of people appreciate understanding the technology, you know, and then some are are very concerned about this idea of warp speed, right? (laughs) This, I mean, 
if you are about to be injected with something and historically people like you have not always been, you know, uh, treated so well in studies in this country, then this idea of you getting something that was developed in warp speed sounds scary. But again, it's like if the conversation remains open, I'm finding that my near peers who are Black, my patients, the staff that I work with, and others from marginalized groups are very open to that conversation. And I've seen quite a few people move over to a yes. So let's explore that a little bit more here in a second. But I just want to mention the groups that characterize the people who seem to be unsure. It's people younger than 60. Being older than 60, I hang around with people older than 60, and they keep asking me, when can I get the vaccine? There doesn't seem to be any hesitancy from people my age because we're scared desperately of uh, ending up in an ICU. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll discuss Black race here in a minute. Less than a college degree, which might speak to the concern about understanding what are you doing to me? You know, I'm not well-educated, and now you're trying to give me something that rushed too fast. And I heard somebody told me that blah, blah, blah. But also Um, individuals who have less education, you know, again, as we think about structural racism, and I know we're going to get to that piece, but I think that those are some of the individuals who are over-policed and who have some of the most hardships. So I think it's always important that conversation to not only anchor on the fact that maybe people lack full understanding of the concepts, but also that their day-to-day lived experiences do not engender trust, if you will. Right. And then people who did not receive the influenza vaccine. And and I certainly have discussed influenza vaccine with patients hundreds of times. And this is, well, I took it once or my aunt took it and she got the flu. And there's no discussing. I mean, it doesn't matter what I say. But every physician that I interact with really has a great concern about our Black patients getting vaccinated because this pandemic is disproportionately impacting Black patients. Mm -hmm. And our frustration is not knowing what to say and not knowing how to help people who are at really high risk Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out. uh, It's hard for us to do much about the structure of the household, the community that they live in, the types of jobs they have that put them at higher risk for transmission. We can't do much about that in the short run. In the long run, if we could help them get vaccinated, it would be great. And we don't know what to do. And that's, that's why I'm turning to you, because I don't know what to do. Well, you know, I think from your long experience taking care of a diverse group of patients, many of whom look like me, I think some of the things that have worked when you're trying to build a therapeutic alliance in the hospital with somebody or trying to convince somebody to stay in the hospital who wants to go home, those are demonstrating that you care about the patient and that you're willing to listen to what their concerns are. And I think that for this, it's the same. I think, you know, it's a little frustrating when you open up a magazine or an article or something and it sort of lumps all people of a particular race together in their why. And that just isn't the case. These are individual people. And so I think that understanding contextually what has happened to people over the years is important. But I think it just comes down to when your patient says no or they're not sure, let's talk about why. Recognize that there are some things that might make a person a little hesitant. Okay, I understand that. You know, don't shut them down right away. If they say this was developed quickly, I can definitely see how Mm -hmm. that would concern you. Or why haven't they developed an HIV vaccine 
and, and now they have this vaccine. It's because HIV affects poor people and black people. Um, and then you say, oh, well, you know, I, I can see that you've been thinking about this a lot. Hey, you know, what would you like me to do? Tell you more about the differences between an HIV vaccine and this messenger RNA vaccine? Or like, can we talk more about that? Because you make a really good point. Let's talk that through. And a lot of us are connected to people who are studying things like HIV vaccines, and we have some understanding. So if you understand that, let's not underestimate what our patients and our peers and our staff members and interprofessional teams, what they can understand. Let's go there. Let's ask those questions and help them figure out the why. And that's what's working for me so far, Bob. When someone says no, I start to talk to them more. And especially the people I go after actually are people in positions of influence. So a good friend of mine that I follow on Facebook, he is a community leader. You know, he is somebody that a whole bunch of people respect. And he put this post out on Facebook saying that don't trust this vaccine. It was developed too quickly. Watch your back. And I didn't admonish him over Facebook, but I immediately sent him a text message and said, you need to call me. I want to chat with you. And I explained to him like, man, look, we have to be good stewards of our influence. We got to talk this thing out. The other thing that's been working for me, in addition to going after people like him, and I did change his mind. And he was actually a person who had access to get vaccinated and he publicly showed it and a lot of people responded to it. So I do think this idea of people of influence um, being in the front is important. But the other piece too, is that as much as we don't want it to be this way, we are still a very segregated country in terms of our social networks. And I've been talking to a lot of my friends and family who are black and saying, listen, you know, if you attend a predominantly black church, if you went to a historically black college and enjoy going to homecoming, if you, you know, look through your cell phone and all of your contacts, 90% of them share your race. If those people in your contact list are not getting vaccinated, then this gap between what's happening with people who are black and people who are not is going to get wider. So this is really about us protecting each other. I can get vaccinated and say my family will get vaccinated and protect me, but that doesn't really help me when I think about going Tuskegee Homecoming or mm -hmm. some of the other places that where I'm frequented with lots of Black people. So I think people with influence really have to go hard. So I'm going to have you reflect on this. As you know, I, I do inpatient rounds a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that I often try to do is find out who the person is before I start talking about the disease. I work at a VA. I had a woman who was a spy. She had some serious problems that we were able to help her with. But once everybody found out that this is who she was, it's like they looked at her totally differently. Mm -hmm. I have another great patient I've had a couple times, a tall gentleman who I asked him what he did in the service and he's about my age. So he was in during the Vietnam era. He was in Germany and he was actually helping with intelligence. But he said he was really over there because he was a really good basketball player and he was on the <laughs> army basketball team. They flew him all over Europe and he had the best tour of duty, anybody. And he becomes everybody's favorite patient. Right. Um, so I think one of the things that I think you imply, and I think it's important for all of us to remember, even though it takes a little extra time in the short run, in the long run, it takes less time. is find out who your patient is and finding out where you can bond with them. Mm -hmm. Are they a big basketball fan? You walk in the room and they're watching a basketball game. Talk to them about basketball or find out who they are and let them know. And I'm speaking as a white man, obviously. Let them know that I like a lot of the same things you like and I see the world in a lot of the same ways that you see it. And then maybe that will help us have a conversation. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I think it does make sense. I think that one of the things I always tell my teams and my interns and residents is that if you stick with anybody long enough, you will find a place where you intersect, no matter who it is. You just have to stay long enough and keep talking to them long enough to figure out what that is. And it may be that you do not watch basketball. It may be that you both like country music. It may be that you both play golf. It may be that you both like dad jokes. Dad jokes. Now now you're getting personal. But I think that this idea of us humanizing our patients, which is what you're talking about, just this act of humanism is really what I'm getting at with that piece of saying, hey, man, make it individual. Let's not teach people a script for how to deal with your Black patient. How do you deal with a person, an individual who may be from a marginalized group, but who has their own individual reasons why they may feel the way that they feel? Maybe your brother had Guillain-Barre after getting some viral infection. Maybe you have a little brother um, who is on the spectrum and your family believes that it came from a vaccine. Maybe these are ideas that you have. And I don't know that those are things that you have in your head. You know, if anything, it just seems like I'm wagging my finger. And we all have our strong opinions about the data about vaccines. But some of our patients and their lived experiences don't care what we say. They don't care about what our studies say or anything. And so I think this idea of just hearing out the patient, finding out where you intersect. And then as they start to feel like, hey, wait a minute, this Dr. Centaur, he, he cares about me. Okay, you know what? I don't feel like he would be coming at me saying this to me unless he actually cared about me. Okay, he's demonstrated that through how he's listened. Let me just throw one other idea, and I might be wrong, uh, so please correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we substitute race for socioeconomic difference. Mm-hmm. So because you're a physician, you're in a different socioeconomic status than many of your patients who are doing less financially rewarding jobs. And does the distance in socioeconomic status have pile on on top of the racial issues? I think yes. I think it absolutely does. But I will also say that my unique perspective is that I'm a Black physician who is college educated and went to a historically Black medical school and college. So my peer group is made up of very, very educated people and professionals, many of whom are Black. And a lot of those folks are still skeptical. So it's interesting. I'm seeing some of the skepticism in my very educated groups of Black peers as well. But I do think that as far as the trust piece and how the world sort of treats certain people and regards their lives, I think that is felt more by those who are in lower socioeconomic spaces. And a lot of the health disparities and everything that we see and lack of access to care, that is felt most by those who have less resources. I mean, that's what I see a lot in my job every day. And I guess to sort of wrap this up, fortunately, I've seen quite a few role models. My favorite baseball player of all time was Hank Aaron. From the time I was like seven years old, I adored Hank Aaron. I don't know what it was about Hank Aaron, but I just always adored him. And uh, he lives in Alabama, and he got vaccinated and was very public. Um, Charles Barkley has said that whenever he gets the chance, he's going to get vaccinated, and he'll do it in a very public way. Um, Our dean is Black, and he just got his vaccine and made sure that it was all over social media. How important are role models, and will that have much of an influence? Yeah, so I think as we go back to this study and we think about those individuals who are in the hard no group, it probably won't do much for them. If anything, it will offend them. 
because they might see their leaders who are Black being made to be puppets, right? And so for that group, probably not much. But for those people who are sort of in that maybe, or I'm not sure, or I don't trust it group, especially people with whom you've had like a sustained relationship, right? So there are people who like have followed me on Twitter or on Facebook for years and have seen me talking about health-related things for years. And that this is just another health-related thing I'm talking about to try to help my community and those who I know and love to be well, right? And so when people who've been around and valuing your life start to do things like enroll in a vaccine trial and talk about it publicly, those individuals start to kind of squint their eyes. And we also need to welcome people to ask their questions, give them a minute and give them some time and to be patient. I know for me, one of the things, Bob, I've had to work on is you know, I like to win. <laughs> so I'll be talking to someone and, and it is really, the conversation is still open, but it's become a not now. And I just want to seal the deal, right? I want them to end the visit and be like, yes, but recognizing that, hey, you know what, this person has a follow-up in two weeks. And I went from close to no to a maybe I'll think about it. I'm going to pray about it. And I'm going to see them in two weeks. And maybe when I see them in two weeks for this blood pressure check, I can talk to them some more about this. And I'm finding that to be important, whether you're talking about a COVID vaccine, a flu vaccine, smoking cessation, cutting back on alcohol, weight loss. We have to kind of stop bombarding our patients with this you know, car salesman pitch where we need you to buy the car right now. Um, I need you to buy it soon, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have like I don't want you to wait a year to get your COVID vaccine, but there are many opportunities, especially with inpatients when I'm rounding and I breach these conversations or our nursing colleagues who are saying, no, I have time. I can come back and loop back and talk to you more and layer it on and keep building so that we get to a point where you might feel more comfortable. Um, I was just thinking about some of the words I sometimes use with patients. I care about you and I really want you to get the vaccine because I don't want you to get sick. Mm -hmm. Because it's about you, it's not about me. And I think that maybe that helps. Final thoughts for our listeners, mostly general interns, both inpatient and outpatient, a lot of residents. This is your chance to give them a message of hope dealing with particularly the COVID vaccine, but a lot of other vaccines too. I think a lot of it goes back to some of the lessons that you've already mentioned. You know, humanize your patients. People will respond to what they feel. You show people that you care about them um, and they feel that empathy coming from you, then I think that might move the needle some and get them to change their mind. So what does that mean? That means put your hands at your side and don't be in a rush and listen to what people have to say. When someone says no, don't immediately shut them down. When someone starts talking, listen to them talk and don't start calculating what you're going to say next. Just wait. You know, as one of my patients told me once, one of the Grady elders, she said, talk when it's your time to talk. And listen when it's your time to listen. And this was a patient actually, Bob, was trying to tell me that she'd had an echocardiogram already two weeks before. And I was trying to get her to get an echo. And she said, I didn't hear her because I was too busy doing that thing doctors do where they act like they're listening to you, but really they're just plotting what they're going to say next. And I say that to say that I haven't figured this all out myself. But what I did learn from that embarrassing moment was that people have their individual reasons why. And for your patients who come from marginalized backgrounds, that work might be a little more for you. It might take a little extra legwork and it might take more than one encounter to get them there. But show people how much you care about them through your actions, by how fast you're moving, by how much time you give them, by listening directly on their skin instead of through their shirt. Things like that. People peep that, you know, and you can show me better than you can tell me. Show me you care about me. 
show your patients you care about them. And these things that we want to do that suggest that when we're saying we care about you, they'll believe you, but they won't if your actions don't say that. Kimberly, I can't thank you enough. And I love that at the very end, you repeated something we said earlier. You walk the walk, you don't talk the talk. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. While many people in the U.S. are enthusiastic about getting the COVID vaccine, approximately a third of our population is hesitant, while around 10% are hard-nosed. In this conversation, we discussed a variety of reasons for this hesitancy, with a particular focus on black race. As physicians, we must first listen to our patients to understand why they are hesitant, and if possible, provide information that will make our patients more comfortable with considering vaccine over time. We hope you've learned something from this, and thank you very much for listening. For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.